My 20s were a decade of trying to figure out what in the heck was going on. We were told something is happening on the streets, so get ready, use your guns against the people. Whatever you do, as best as you know how to live into it, be full-hearted or just quit. Be full-hearted and quitting. Our lives are meant to make us feel very safe and very taken care of. And then what you end up feeling is you don't know yourself in unknown places. This is the Ansons Podcast. Just in case you clicked on the button and weren't sure where you landed. Today we have an interview with the most famous podcaster we've connected with so far. This is Brian Harden of Daily Audio Bible, a podcast that has over 55 million downloads. And we would have liked to get a little more of a how-to out of this episode, but turns out there's no roadmap. Brian did not mean to start a groundbreaking podcast. He actually, in the beginning, just wanted to see whether or not what the Bible said was true. Yeah, there's a lot in his story of I think some honest approaching of things he would name of himself. So if you consider yourself X, then I must behave in Y. And that really set him down a unique trajectory that's led him to where he is now. Something that I really appreciate and got a lot out of in this podcast. I think you're going to enjoy hearing some of the behind the scenes of what you may already be familiar with. You may personally be someone who subscribes to Daily Audio Bible. Um, So his voice may sound very familiar to you. And this is a, a kind of a fun peek into his journey to where he is now. And also some of his, his path through his 20s and the ways that he made some of his decisions. Hope you guys enjoy it. So Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. There's a lot that I'd love to kind of work our way towards in what you are up to and have been doing for the last decade. But since this is a, a podcast that's by young men, for young men, I'd love to jump in with... Where were you in your 20s? Where were you when you were 28, 25? What was going on in those years? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, my 20s were a decade of trying to figure out what in the heck was going on. And um, yeah, that I sounds had, familiar. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it was a decade of uh, trying a lot of things that that didn't work out and caused all kinds of uh, painful experiences that then formed me into the person that I that I could become if if I would you know take the invitation which I eventually did but my 20s were spent mostly pursuing my career path and I had chosen a career path in the music industry and I just wasn't prepared for just how competitive that was going to be what the entertainment business was going to be like. And so it was a constant struggle to figure out what my North star was and, you know, what, how solid the ground was beneath my feet because it's such a volatile business. And that just kind of uh, transferred into my life and my marriage and my parenting and, and everything, just trying to figure it out. So going back, were you first a musician or did you jump right into the production side of the music industry? I mean, I had decided that I wanted to pursue music with no plan B by the time I was 16. And um, But I realized that that's idealistic and uh, 
learned how to deliver pizzas. I learned how to work at you know fast food. I, I learned how to do lots of things to uh, support a, a habit of trying to pursue a way to make a living in a very very difficult business. But by the time I got into my early 20s, maybe 23, I was making a living in the music industry and migrated from uh, from the north to here in Nashville, where I live now, and, and just began that journey. And when did you become married? I was married at 24 and had my first child at 25 and uh, been a parent ever since. <laughs> <laughs> One would certainly hope so. <laughs> yeah. It's just a situation in your 20s, I think, and I don't know about everybody, but I grew up in a pastor's home. So, uh, you know, everything about church was something that I knew. And so faith was sort of ingrained into who I was. And I came to Nashville and got into the Christian music industry. And, you know, it, it was, it's pretty easy when you've grown up in the faith to just say the right things. They didn't necessarily connect to anything real inside of me. It wasn't that I didn't believe them. It, it, there was just no context outside of my own upbringing. I didn't have a faith of my own. So it, it really was during my 20s that yeah, I began to realize just how shallow that was. And eventually, in my late 20s, you know, I had a, a situation where I a business went bankrupt out from under me, owing me a lot of money. It wasn't my business. It was just I had made some records for this company. And when they went bankrupt, they absconded with all of my life savings, basically, because I had to pay for those projects out of my own pocket uh, just to keep my reputation in this town. And it just sent me to sort of the bottom where – it just felt so weak and shallow to sit down and go, Jesus, help me from this, when I haven't talked to you in a month. And it just it just felt so hypocritical to me that I just sat there and not made a pro and con list, but basically decided I have to either get all the way in this or I have to get all the way out of this. I can kill or be killed. That's what this this you know the entertainment culture is like i can i can go do that if i don't have any kind of moral compass but i keep trying to come back to this uh, you know paying homage to a faith that i don't seem to really have and every time you know i pray i'm asking god to do something for me and i don't even think i know god and you know, and then during that whole process, believe it or not, Wild at Heart was kind of happening, and I read that book, and it was like, th this is some language that that I have never heard before. It's putting words to some desires inside of me, like this is giving me context, and I'm a big context person, even with the Bible. And so it was like giving me language and context, and it just helped, and I decided, man, I, before I can check out of this, I have to go all in. I've just never been all in, and I don't know where this is going to go. And I just—it wasn't a sinner's prayer, but it was just like, God, I'm jumping. Like, if you don't catch me, I'm dead. Like, I'm going to splatter at the bottom of this, and and that'll be that. But I am going to take this shot. I'm going to jump, and and never look back. I'm going to go all in. Uh, in my faith. And that really was a, sh a shift for me. That was when I felt like I'm getting a handle on my life. Everything isn't confusing. I'm not falling further behind. I'm not getting an, an identity by comparing myself to how well somebody else is doing. 
And uh, that just shifted everything. Oh, that's huge. I think uh, so much of what you're saying is resonating in my own experience and then in my experience with my peers of that relationship with God that's kind of, if things are working out for me, we can stay in touch, but you know, let's let's meet up for coffee every now and again, rather than when things sort of hit the fan and there's those prayers of desperation of like, okay, I, I really need your help. I need you to pull me back in. Um you're a really good guy and I'm sorry we haven't talked as much uh, that oh, I hear in the, the sort of the choice you were making there that, that you wanted to either jump in or out. And there was part of you that felt, I, don't, I mean, I might be projecting, but I'm, what I heard was that there was something of the way that you were living at that time where just owning that you were not in was a legitimate, just call it what it was to say. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it was this situation where I'm just miserable because I'm not anything. I'm a truth seeker. You know, it was a popular thing to say, you know, I'm just looking for the truth, but that was just a cover. That didn't mean anything other than I, you know, was seeking. But what I was really saying was I, I need some sort of context for what life is supposed to be because I am, I'm living my dream. I've succeeded in a business that is very tough to succeed in. I'm doing this for a living. Like, you know, many people would kill me to have this this shot, but this is not enough. There has to be more. Like, I've, I've achieved what I set out to do, and this is definitely not enough. And I don't know where to go. And I'm trying to be a husband, and I'm trying to be a father, and I'm trying to be in a business that is all-consuming. And I don't know where this is going. Like, I can't, I can't find the ground. And that just sent me to God. And I mean, it almost sent me away from God. Like, I mean, it was that crossroads of I'm either in or I'm out. But I did rely heavily on my upbringing. You know, I mean, I had you guys have a great father and I, I had a great father. And he, you know, he he instilled in me a, a conviction that I could do anything. And I think that made me able to to make it in a tough business. But, you know, finding your way is not an easy thing. And I think it's an impossible thing if you have no rooted spirituality. Like if, if, if you don't have God in your life, I'm not sure how you do find your way. I spent my whole 20s, you know, since we're talking about the 20s, I spent my whole 20s trying to find the way, even when everything looked like I had found it. So once I had, you know, kind of surrendered, or I don't like all that that kind of religious talk, but that's really what happened was I give up. And and if you really are there, then I need you to talk to me. And that sent me to the Bible. I mean, I literally grew up in the church and had never read the Bible. I just knew all the verses everybody else knew. You know, like you just carry them around in your pocket and pull them out and hand them to people. Yeah, like your identity card of, see, I'm a Christian. Right. And then you have the right thing to say. And usually it's the wrong thing to say because you're quoting a scripture out of context. And, you know, all of the social, the social faith was, wasn't the problem. It was, it wasn't, wasn't attached to anything. Hmm. How long was the gap for you between searching for life, even though it looked like you were living and and realizing that there was this emptiness and then, then that company going bankrupt? How long was the, the gap from that to finding the idea or the passion to begin moving towards the the daily audio bible podcast a couple of years i mean i had literally 
almost taken a vow to myself that ministry was not something I would ever pursue. It just didn't appeal to me. As you know, I've seen behind the curtain, it's a tough, it, it's a tough thing to do. And if you're not in it, nobody really understands. They just look at it as like, wow, that must be nice to study the Bible all day. Okay, hang on. The guy that just worked in the cutthroat music industry said that working in ministry is a tough thing to do. I mean, I think leading people spiritually is probably the hardest job on the planet. When you're in a different kind of business, there are a certain set of rules. And and even if they're broken or even if you get kind of, you know, taken out in a business deal or something like that, you sort of know how that happened. But when you're dealing with the hearts of people who make an incredible amount of assumptions about who you are and what you do, that is really hard to navigate because there's you know just a lot of judgment and and envy and all kinds of stuff that happen around that that sort of isolates you by default. It's hard to lead people and then be one of those people at the same time. And so I think it's a incredibly difficult thing to do, but it's for me anyway, the most true and noble thing. I ever leapt into. So yeah, it's hard. I watched, you know, my dad be a pastor for 30 years. I watched the toll that that took. I watched his, you know, good heart be misunderstood, but I I, I watched him remain true. But by watching him remain true, I also walked away going like, it's not worth it. Like, I don't want to do that. I I, I don't want to be in that. And so it was a couple of years and it really was just reading the Bible. I mean, after that little moment of going, I'm jumping, and if you don't catch me, I'm dead, I, I figured I probably should read the Bible and stop thinking that I know what it says. I probably should read the whole thing. And that really shifted so much for me. I remember finding, you know, everybody's got like five or six Bibles in their house, and I found one and just sat it on my table and said, God, if you really can speak for yourself, I need you to do that. And I'm listening. I am not resisting you. I am not rebelling. I am not trying to disprove anything. If you can talk, I'm listening. Because all I know about you, someone else told me. And I don't think you've ever told me anything about yourself. It's sort of like, hello. And, and the Bible was sort of my entree. It was like the, the way in and so once I read the whole Bible, its context started to shine and so many of the things that I had made assumptions about disappeared. And I just basically had to unlearn my faith and sort of disassemble everything and then look at what was left and begin to assemble a faith that was mine. Man, that's huge. I want to talk about that for a second. You mentioned a minute ago that as you were transitioning out of the music industry as you were pursuing this life with God, that what had been confusion and disorientation started to become clarity and even vision in the course of what you've just described, in the course of actually learning what the story of God looks like. I'd love to ask, what were some of the first core things that shifted in your worldview that provided a significant amount of clarity? 
Well, for starters, I was never taught this, but I sort of grew up with this idea that Jesus loves me, but his dad is pissed. And, <laughs> totally. You know, so I always felt like Jesus loves me, but his dad's mad. And I don't know what to do about that because I can't stop blowing it. No matter, You know, like maybe I'll get through a day and I don't blow everything, but, you know, I, I can constantly find myself in all kinds of thoughts, words, or deeds that I would think God would be mad about. And so once I began to read the Bible, I was like, you know what? There isn't an angry God in the Old Testament. That's not that's not what's going on here. This is a jealous, desperate, lovesick God begging people, please don't destroy yourself. Please, please don't. There's a better way to do this. I'll just return to me. Just come back. And I kept seeing that return to me theme in the Old Testament. And my assumptions about the Old Testament were, you know, it's bloody, it's violent, and God's mad. And he's he's judgmental and he wants to destroy everybody. But Jesus, Jesus, he's nice. He's a nice guy. And he sort of pacifies his dad, even though his dad sent him to die. You know, it was like all of those things disappeared once I began to see the stories emerge in their context and realize, wow, so many of the things I've been blaming God for in the Bible and in my own life, he had nothing to do with. And so it completely changed my my understanding of the Father. And shortly after that, my own father passed away. And so it was like at this really beautiful time where God is becoming my father, even as I'm losing my own father. And yeah, I mean, those kinds of stories are so bedrock for me that I, I, I can't imagine how I could see the world any other way now. I can't imagine walking away from that. And it's huge. So you've started reading your way through the Bible. You've made this radical life or death decision about what you're going to move towards for the life of your heart with God. What happened next in the story? Because you're still kind of dead center in your 20s right now. What followed after you decided that, yes, actually, in spite of my radical vow, I'm going to consider a life that is missional with people? I mean, thankfully, the father fathered me through that and, you know, didn't make me wake up one day and start packing my bags to move to Africa or something. It was a transition. So when the Daily Audio Bible started, it really started out of an idea and then a dream. And, you know, as soon as I say a dream, then we get into this vision talk and stuff. But it really was, I woke up just before Christmas in 2005 And the first thought in my mind was a remnant of a dream that I can't remember, but it was, I want you to podcast the Bible. And, you know, I jumped up and got about my day and didn't think another thing of it, but it just loitered in my mind. It was just one of those things that I couldn't stop thinking about. And so for about a week, I keep hearing this, I want you to podcast the Bible. And guys, if you knew me then, you know, I've gotten very practiced as an introvert and in being extroverted in communicating and speaking. And like that doesn't terrify me anymore because I just have a lot of practice, but I'm a pretty introverted guy. So the idea of getting behind a mic instead of sitting in, behind a console and making a famous person sound great, but actually being that person was terrifying. But it wouldn't leave. And I, I realized, man, I'm an audio engineer. I have the skills to do, like figuring out how to do this isn't the problem. Just doing it is. But 
you know, the week between Christmas and New Year's was the week. And I decided I'm doing this. Like I'm starting this January 1st. And the beautiful thing is I just thought it was about me. Like I thought this was just going to be a journey with God. And I was going to speak the Bible out loud and a few people would listen maybe. And it would be accountability. And I would actually, you know, stick with it for a year. And that's all that was going to happen. I wasn't planning to leave the music business or go into another path, especially ministry. But it just blew up. Like, I mean, I had 200, over 200 emails from people that I did not know on the first day. And I just didn't really know what to do with that. Didn't feel like I was equipped to teach the Bible. I, I just felt like I'm, I'm supposed to read the Bible. And it's a one-year thing. And then I'll be back to my life. But it just kind of blew up and community started evolving around it. And it just started taking shape. And I... All of a sudden, I'm you know hearing these confessional things from people that I realized, wow, in, in a church setting, that that would crucify you if you confessed that out loud. In most community, you know, religious community settings, you would never be looked at the same again. So, what is it about the anonymity of the internet? What is going on here? And I just began to realize, wow, God is in this. And I probably should keep going. And so, you know, for the first few years, I was supporting the Daily Yeti Bible completely out of my own pocket while trying to maintain an all-consuming career in the music industry. Uh, and the final break kind of came in 2008 where I realized, you know, I can't, I can't stay in the music industry. I'm losing my edge. Like, I, I have to stop one of these two paths. And it was just, at that point, I was cooked like a frog. It, it had taken a couple of years, but I could not imagine leaving this community behind. And I started telling everybody I love them at the end of every day, because that was the moment that I realized I cannot leave this ministry behind. I am already in it. I've slowly done what I said I would never do, but I'm here. And I, and I love these people, and I love the scriptures, and I love what they do to me. And, you know, it was one of those things where it was like, I am more alive now than I've ever been, even though I'm about to leave what I worked so hard for so long to achieve. This is, you know, this is giving me life. This is the only place I feel God in. And so it was, it was kind of easy at that point. It was a little harder for my wife. But it was easy for me at that point to say, you know what, I'm retiring from this old career. Like that was that's a part of my story. It has been a part of my identity, but it isn't anymore. I love the way you've talked about your entrance into the Daily Audio Bible podcast. There's a surprise, and the way you the words you used were, oh, I should probably keep doing this. When people started, you know, responding really well to it, uh, which speaks to a a goal that wasn't, man, I'm going to create this thing and hope that it's just massively successful. And when people do come by, the sort of that maniacal evil laugh, like you've succeeded, <laughs> more people are coming in. Instead, it's shoot, I guess this is connecting, and I was going to commit to this for a year, and I guess I'll I'll do that, and and then all of a sudden it's two years and, and then it's three years and then you sort of look backwards and you're like whoa how did i end up here I, like the the hooks are in that strikes me as being a very different motivation and a really interesting process to create something that could be so massively successful one would assume especially in that you know time in your life that it would be the opposite that it would be okay how do i play my cards right 
so that I can create something, maybe a little thing on the side, maybe a little hustle that can just be wildly successful. And when I get that, you know, I'll have struck gold. That I think would be the typical world's way of looking at something. And yet I I just didn't hear that from the way you talked about it. And I, I loved that. I do want to ask because it, so much of what you're saying is hitting home for reading the Bible and knowing a few things and some assumptions we make. And I just get a name that I'm, I'm there. I've made a lot of those. I'm, I'm not listening going like, oh, finally, finally, Brian got on board with the rest of us. I've been reading the Bible forever. It's like, no, actually, I'm probably more in the camp of, ooh, I, oh, okay. What, what's the, what was the experience for you? Was it different to, to sit in the Bible for a year when you were reading it out loud for others than when you were reading it for yourself? Or was there an experience regardless of whether you're listening or the one speaking? I know you've, you've written about this. You've got a book on it and you've been in this marinating process for a decade now. What, what's the effect been on, on you? I mean, I pass the same territory every year because I read through the Bible every year and, you know, some of the stories that happen are like visiting with friends that I haven't got to see in a year now. And some of the beautiful moments just, you know, I have to stop recording sometimes because they bring me to tears, especially in the Gospels. Like Jesus is somebody that has become very tangible to me because of just kind of staying in the story. And every time I pass that territory, I realize just how revolutionary and subversive and disruptive he was. And it constantly undermines the way that I look at the world. Like I am constantly being pulled back to the way Jesus looked at the world because he he looked at things completely different. It's just like, you know, what we see in the gospels where like in the book of John, where the, the temple guard is sent to arrest Jesus and then they go and listen to Jesus. And then they come back and they say, nobody ever talked like this before. And that's what I find when I read the words of Jesus. Like no, nobody ever talks like this. This is a completely different way of being in the world. This is a completely different way of looking at the world. And I, this process of sanctification to me is just my letting go of the world as I knew it and the world as we know it and beginning to look at it completely different because his measure of success, his measure of identity, his measure of everything is coming from a completely different place. It's coming from a place of collaboration with God, right? It's coming from a place of divinity and humanity being in the same place at the same time. And that is continuing to change me. It has been for years, but it continues to change me Every time I get pulled into like, am I succeeding? Am I doing good? Am I doing bad? Am I, how am I doing as a father? Like all of those questions can only be answered one of two ways in comparison to somebody else or just by asking God, how am I doing? Like there's no other way. And one of them is a false identity and one of them is a true. And so the deeper that I get into understanding Jesus' relationship with his father and the things that he was actually trying to say, the more I am challenged with the the way that I look at the world. So it's a hard question to answer because the answer is everything. Like it just touches everything. So I don't know. Fascinating, (laughs) energizing to hear you talk about those things. Yeah, I actually, because I was just kind of like, wait, 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 slow down. Like, uh, no, 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 not because you're, not because you're actually moving too quickly, but because the points you were touching on 
could be lingered on for such a long time. And I just want to go back and ask a little more on one because you did just touch on some of these points, but you were talking about your view of the world being transformed to become more like the way that Jesus understood the world. What were or what are some of the things in Jesus's view of the world that continue to change you? Well, I think, you know, context is really important. So understanding the context of what Jesus was doing and how revolutionary it was, you know, it's stuff that we already know. They were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for somebody to lead a military revolt against Rome. They were trying to restore an ancient Israel that had been gone for a long time. You know, the Galileans were basically marginalized for zealotry and terrorism for Rome. And so they're always on the radar, and then this is where God shows up. Like, this is where God shows up with angry, disheartened um, people who have no hope for a better tomorrow and don't know what's going on and are crying out to God for somebody to come save them. And he comes into that context and basically says, you're never going to see it the way that you're looking for. This kingdom that you are looking for is never going to happen the way you're looking for it. And I realize that I'm looking for the same thing, right? I just want Jesus to come back on a white horse and beat up the bad guys. But Jesus is saying, that's not how this works. The kingdom has already started. The kingdom is already in and among you. The kingdom is here. It's now. This is, this is right now. And maybe this isn't the fullness, but it's already begun. And I had just been thinking, you know, I just have to be a good boy and keep my flesh under control until I can die and no longer be a human being. And then I guess everything can be be good. But I don't know what to do with this humanity right now because it's a constant struggle for me. And Jesus is saying, it's now, man, you are a part of it. This is a collaboration. We're going to do this together. Like, this is how this works. And And just his language of, you know, defeat is actually victory and blessed are you who are poor in spirit and just the entire beatitudes are this juxtaposition of a world that we want versus the world that we have and i just have begun to understand like how do you win by losing you basically understand that it's a battle between darkness and light and every time that you lose by the world's standards by installing light in its place, it may look like you've lost, but you've actually won. Because your role isn't to succeed, your role is to be salt and light. Your role is to be involved in the advancement of a kingdom that no one can point to. No one can say it's that guy, or it's that person, or it's that building. These are the things that Jesus said. It's not like that. He would just say, it's like it's like mustard seed. It's like leaven. So like leaven, okay, what does that mean? Leaven will will make the loaf rise, but once the loaf is risen, you can't find the leaven anymore. It's like this thing that just happens, and it keeps growing and growing and growing, but you can never really put your finger on it. Nobody can box it up and sell it. Nobody can make it a product. It just is, and it is now, and I have a role to play in it, and, and the way that I do that is I don't yell back at my wife when she says something mean to me. I tell her I love her because in that moment I'm losing, I'm losing my right and my dignity. You know, I'm I'm not able to fight back in that moment. I'm just taking it. And but when I do, I replace darkness with light. I say that this is the end of the darkness. Like it stops with me. I'm replacing everything with light around me. 
And that's how we win by losing. And Jesus modeled this. That's the thing. It's like, it's, it's not a mystery. He did this the whole way, all the way to the end, even hanging on the cross, taking all darkness with him in the ashes of defeat and a horrible death and a humiliating death death died because he did. And so it's just changed my way of interacting with people rather than just trying to be right or, you know, have my boundary. I I have to enter into stories just like Jesus did, because when you look at him, he was always after the plot. Like he always asked penetrating questions that exposed what was really happening. And uh, he continues to do that in my life. And so I have to move toward people, even though I'm an introvert. And I have to, um, you know, take things that I think are unjust and replace them with light, even though I have to, you know, feel like I, I, you know, I could have been right in that situation. I was right in that situation, but I chose light instead of being right. The now of that, that the kingdom is now is so huge. I've I've felt and seen and experienced the posture of kind of that, I just need to get through this life by holding my breath and trying to be on my best behavior because it's all going to burn either soon, depending on, you know, who you're listening to, or I'm going to die, I'm going to die, it's going to happen eventually. And there's this passivity that enters because nothing now really matters other than sort of minding your manners. And that, ugh, that is so, that's, that's crushing. That, that stops what you named as bringing light, bringing the kingdom, bringing Jesus here. And that, I mean, the, the power of now is massive. This feels like a, an unfair question to ask you, but I love asking unfair questions. Is there a particular verse or chapter that is that you would you would list as one of your your top three your your favorites when you get to that point again each year that you go like ah oh, I've been looking forward to this line or this action um, okay I'm not gonna like put the pressure on you to say your favorite moment I'm gonna give you the a little bit of wiggle room top three okay top three. Uh, well, from the Psalms, unless the Lord builds the house, the labor is in vain, has really guided me through this decade of ministry uh, because as men and just as people in the culture that we live in, you have to be moving forward. You have to be getting bigger. You have to be having more in order to, to be seen as successful, even in your own mind. And that scripture just helps me realize, like, if this is not a collaboration, if I am not doing this with God, it does not matter at all. And then uh, from from Peter's letters, I can't remember if this is first or second Peter, I think it's second, but humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and in due season he will lift you up has been uh, really, really important to me because it's an active participation to humble yourself. Like not don't wait to get the smackdown, right? Don't wait for life to 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 beat your head off or wait for God to have to come and pull disrupt you in some sort of way. Do it yourself. Like be a participant. Humble yourself. Stay there. That that's the posture that Jesus constantly had. And that's the the one I want. And I guess I guess my my third favorite is the one that is the most popular in all of the world, right? I know the plans that I have for you. 
And the reason that I like that verse from Jeremiah is twofold. One, it's completely taken out of context in the way that it's passed around, completely out of context, but its context is rich. God is speaking to people who are in exile, who have lost their homeland, who have lost their temple, who have lost their identity. You're right, they're just singing songs by rivers, and they're just longing for a day that they could be restored. And God sends a prophet and says, settle in where you are. Pray for the well-being of those around you. It's going to be 70 years so have kids and get married and have a good life. And in your, your well-being is attached to the place that you are right now. But I have plans for you. And they are plans to prosper you. But they're, they're in that context as opposed to just you know something that you can pass to anybody who's having any kind of problem at all. God's actually saying, stay where you are. I've got you. I've got plans. Stay where you are right now and thrive where you are right now. And that's helpful for me, too, because we go through those seasons where it's just not enough anymore, and we know we're in transition, but we don't know where we're going, and it's just hell to be in. And it just, just feels just constantly like, like you're missing a major piece of a puzzle, and you don't know where to go. And it just helps me to kind of go to that kind of scripture in that kind of a context and say, I am where I am. And until God is leading me into something specifically different, even though I feel like he's beginning to do that, I don't have to know more than I already do. Love it. Yeah, we're just going to jack that and use that as the new and sons intro. <laughs> I love <laughs> responding to the Psalms and to Peter I'm struck by the way that you talk about collaboration, because I think there's one mode of talking about collaboration with God that feels like putting on pressure. God's going to do this, but you have to respond this way and make sure you're both bringing things to the table and whatever, whatever, whatever. But especially in the verses you just described, I just hear such a, a like a kindness and even a playfulness of like, actually, you really could do the work of humbling yourself before I have to. Like, I'm extending a lot of power to you in the role that you can play. Just as you're speaking about it, it struck me as so generous and actually so inclusive and kind of God to leave the potential of maturity kind of inside the boundaries of a person's own choice to a certain extent. I mean, such an intriguing way to think about collaborating with Jesus. I think that's the story of the Bible. I mean, I honestly think that's the entire arc of the narrative of the Bible is God isn't trying to be a separate thing that we have no idea how to access and really no idea how to interact with, but we just have to sort of try to figure it out. He was never wanting that. That wasn't the purpose of, like, he didn't make Adam and Eve, like, he didn't create humanity and then decide, you know, to take several steps back and watch what happens. He has always been a part of the story. He has always been the redeemer in the story. And he has always invited that collaboration, whether it be return to me, which would be an act of will and a collaborative uh, move, all the way through the life of Jesus and his collaboration with the Father, all the way to the last things that he says before he ascends to the Father. I, everything that I've come to do, I've done. He says, 
Now go tell everybody. Right? And we call this the Great Commission. But commission is like you guys do the etymology, but that's that's co-mission. That's something that we're going to do together. Like we're going to rescue the world together. I think God came in the flesh and did what people couldn't do, but we are still here to do what we were always here to do, which is to steward the earth, love one another, bring the kingdom. This is a collaborative thing. God could just do these things, but he's choosing to do it with us. The Bible wouldn't exist if there weren't a collaboration between people and God. Like he could have just dropped it out of the sky, Hmm. but he didn't. He collaborated. And so it's always been that because that's really the essence of relationship, right? As a collaborative life together, there's a vulnerability in that. And it's got to be on both sides of the equation for it to be true love. And God truly loves us. I think, you know, it's just us realizing how much he loves us and falling hopelessly in love with him. And then we have a relationship and we're vulnerable to each other and I mean, I know it sounds weird to say God could be vulnerable to us, but I mean, it's right from the very beginning of the Bible. For Adam and Eve to even have an opportunity to eat of a tree of knowledge of good and evil is a vulnerability. It didn't need to be there, but without, you know, like love can't be love if you can't get out of it. Hmm. Like if you have no way out, that's slavery. There's, you know, you so you can bend and modify your behavior to look like you love someone, but no one can make you love them. You can act like you do, but you may not. But I think God wants true love. He truly loves us. We are image bearers. We look like him. We are his children. And he wants to follow us. And that's that's collaborative. So I can't see anything in the Bible any other way anymore. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, there's obviously so much more to be unpacked. But I'm curious, what is on the, the horizon for you that brings you joy and is connected to something you feel like you are called into co-mission with Jesus in? I mean, I'm going to continue to do what I do until I feel like God's saying to stop. So, you know, doing the Daily Eddie Bible every day and stewarding and shepherding and pastoring that community is my life's work. And out of my life's work, you know, I found that uh, I'm more than an audio engineer. I actually have a voice and I can communicate. Uh, fairly well. And so I enjoy that now. As shy as I might be, I enjoy communicating to audiences and I enjoy doing what I do at the Daily Eddie Bible and I enjoy writing books. And I would have never thought that I I could could do that. But I, I love the research of a book. It's, you know, I mean, it's hard, hard, hard work. And most people like the idea of writing a lot more than actually doing the hard work of it. But I enjoy challenging my faith, like actually challenging my thesis and saying, is this true? And and trying to come out with something that I feel like is compelling and has helped me. And I just want people to know God. I mean, if if I had to sum it all up, I want to know God. And I want to know God in as much fullness as I can possibly find wherever that path may lead me. I want to know God. But in the process, whatever I find, I want to offer. 
I want people to know God because until we can know and collaborate with God, we really can't change this world. And I believe we actually have a vital role in playing or a role to play in changing this world. Otherwise, Jesus could have just done it, man. He was a resurrected guy. He would just, everybody saw him crucified. He could have walked into the temple and took over. You know, there would have been salvation and atonement and the kingdom was here and the king was already here and it could have just happened right then and there. But instead, he chose to continue to put the world back in our hands and ask us to partner with him in his work. So I want to do that and I want to know God. Like I want to know him in the moment. I, you watch some of these prophets, you watch some of these um, saints and ancestors spiritually of old and they're walking around with a much simpler existence. It's, uh, you know, obedience to God, even if that gets me killed. That That's all that matters. And I, w- I want that. It's amazing. Love it. I know that a lot of our listeners will be familiar with your app and a lot of the other things going on. But for someone who hasn't heard of it, where can they go to find out more, to get plugged in? Where should they go? Dailyaudiobible.com is, it would be a great starting place. And yeah, just any app store. Brian, thank you for being on with us today. It's been a joy to get to talk and and hear more about your life. Guys, thanks for dropping by and listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it today. If you want to keep tabs on us and what other projects we've got going on, the best way to do that is to follow us on social media. If you are no longer on social media like some of us, don't panic. You can still keep tabs on what we're up to. Just go to ansonsmagazine.com. Join our mailing list and we'll keep you in the know. And while you're there, be sure to read the magazine. 